And in terms of mentorship, I really believe it's that you don't have to have a regular mentor every week, every year. I believe that the mentors and that people inspire you every day. I say pay attention to your life, pay attention to the people in your life. And they don't have to be the celebrities and superstars of the world. They need to be the superstars of your world. Welcome back to The Tea with Nikki. We are pro-tea, not anti-coffee. Today I sit down with the incredible risk-taker Lee Den Hunt. She is the biggest risk taker I think I've spoken to. She's an author, an award-winning businesswoman, and an extreme sport enthusiast. She has won Businesswoman of the Year, she has summited Mount Everest, and she runs a multi-million rand events company. We speak about her journey, starting her business, her adventuring to New York, unfortunately that failing, but turning into a blessing and coming back to South Africa, why she's in extreme sports, what's been tough and what she has learned. So in your thirties, you moved to the Big Apple, New York City. Mm -hmm. What were your big hopes and dreams when you moved over? Nikki, I had huge, huge hopes and dreams. At the age of 30, I had been working for, let's go back a little bit, from the age of 24, I'd been with Adidas and after Adidas, I'd moved to Nike. It was my big dream to work for the number one sportswear company and I'd spent a few years in Cape Town and then I thought I'm 29, 30 years old, ambitious and goal driven, I want to move to Johannesburg and I was working for Nike there and I hated Joburg, I absolutely hated it and I thought well I've been in Cape Town, I've done Johannesburg, there's one great city waiting for me and that's New York City. Anyway, I resigned from Nike because I'm unafraid of risks completely and I arrived at the Big Apple with this big dream and goal and vision for my life that I'd be working for Nike in Manhattan in New York City and uh, yes, I had a big farewell party. I told everybody in South Africa that knew me I was going to work for Nike in New York and everything that could go wrong went wrong. So you say everything that could go wrong went wrong. I know that you unfortunately came under a knife attack when you were in New York no. City. How did you overcome that uh, mentally especially? It was one of the hardest things for me, but it wasn't just the knife attack, which was brutal and it was something, a horrific thing, but it was also coupled with every door that I was trying to open in New York City was being slammed closed in my face. I went to a city, big aspirations to do that, but really naive in terms of my planning because there was zero planning. I didn't even send them an email to say, right, I went, arrived at Nike head office and I, I asked to speak to somebody in marketing and this wonderful woman called Jan came through and I said, I'm here to work for Nike and she said, what are you here on vacation? I said, no, I've moved you from South Africa. And the bombshells, she just said to me, there's absolutely no positions. You need to go to Portland, Oregon, not New York. So I was at a very low point in my life before I knew it, I was working three jobs a day just to pay my rent. And I'd been there for the six weeks. I'd worked my three jobs. I was doing personal training. I couldn't go into a gym because I was there completely legally. I had absolutely no papers. I was working in a clothing store and I was hostessing in a restaurant. And it was, tw it was on the 20th of September, it was quarter past 12 at night, where I was stabbed in my back uh, for my Nike backpack, of which I had $3 in. Um, it was very, very traumatic. I had no support system there, absolutely not. And I also didn't have money to go for trauma counseling or to go to psychologist and uh, there was an attempt on my life. Just, I was at an all point low at my life, but I was so driven to be in New York City, to be at the Big Apple, that I had to make some big decisions. But going back to South Africa at that point and giving up, was absolutely not an option for me, no matter how bad things were. What gives you that drive, that no quitting, complete risk-taking persona? 
Nikki, I've always been very goal-driven, very, 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 whether it be in my career or sport or wanting to do a race or, you know, just the small things and the big things. So starting with the end in mind, I heard an amazing term the other day saying maximize and visualize, visualize and maximize. I've taken that into my life with everything I do. I was watching a, an amazing YouTube inspirational thing on Oprah yesterday and her very first point, it's not my line, unfortunately, but I love the way she speaks about be excellent in your life at what you do, because if you are excellent, you will be unforgettable. And I think to bring the, 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 the trait of excellence into work, into relationship, into play, into all those things, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's being goal-driven and really visualizing with the end in mind, with the big things and the small things in your life. That's an amazing take. I think a lot of people lose that sense, that excellence in themselves. Everyone has that. But after your knife attack, you returned home at some point. What drove you to start your multi-million rand events company? Were you always drawn to the events space? So after my knife attack, what I did is my ego was way too big to go back to South Africa saying, number one, guys, I've absolutely failed. I didn't get into Nike. I've been doing works that an 18 year old would do. And at the age of 30, a lot of my friends were pursuing their careers and they were doing really well. And I'd reached a rock bottom point in my life. So I didn't return to South Africa immediately after the knife stabbing because my ego was too big, so crazy and silly. So I carried on working all these jobs. And then eventually five, five and a half months later, it was Stephen Covey talks about when you get to the top of a ladder and you realize your ladder is against the wrong building. That was New York for me. I realized I had to get back to South Africa. I had absolutely no money. I landed back in South Africa and my twin sister got me from the airport. And I just, I was at rock bottom again in my life. And I really believe when you've got nothing in your life, you've got absolutely nothing to lose. And I had this opportunity to either go back to Nike, which I didn't want to do because the one big lesson that I, that even I was working for this amazing sportswear brand, I was doing something that I wasn't loving. And I was doing in the sales department and I didn't want to be doing sales. I wanted to do marketing, logistics and event management is really was my calling where I wanted to be. So to go back to Nike to be doing a portfolio of which I wasn't really rocking my world, it would be failing myself. And I had this opportunity with an advertising agency whereby they said, you've got to start it as your own business, no salary, but you've got access to our clients. And I looked at, do I go back to Nike and compromise my soul? Or do I do something which will eventually take me to something that rocks my world? I love logistics, I love planning. And, and I had nothing to lose because I had nothing. I had absolutely nothing. Nikki, I returned, I had less than $20. We had exactly the exchange rate in the year 2001. I had 391 rand to my name. So I had nothing to lose, but only, only to gain in my life. I feel like <laughs> of girls my age, I know myself, you can resonate with the 391 rand at the end of the month. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's rough. It is. It's tough, but we make it through. But your story is absolutely incredible. What in, inspired you to write your book? After Everest, I was ended up doing a lot of public speaking, a lot of motivational speaking, which I absolutely love. But my big vision was to be a speaker on a global platform. I wanted to go and speak to cities all over the world, not just in South Africa. And I said that with respect. And I remember working with a communications company in New York City, and they had this thing saying, look, if you want to be a global speaker, what gives you credentials is you do need to have a book. And that's where the whole book journey started. And it was amazing. It took me four years. And they're very simple stories in there, but the essence 
essence of it is the the toughest hardest roots of your life no matter how, how how tough they are are always the right ones because i do believe in the grit is always the gift and that's committing to saying yes to the big stuff the small stuff the small victories end up being the, the biggest gifts of your life the hardest thing for me that i've ever ever done was summiting everest and i always say that the hardest thing in my life has ended up being my biggest biggest gift and that is life so it's saying yes saying yes to whatever that is what inspired you drove you to get into extreme sports because you've done some insane things <laughs> <laughs> extreme sports you know uh, yesterday i was asked the question is that do what's my concept on mentorship and i'm going to bring this in because it just so ties to my first decision to do my first ironman and in terms of mentorship i really believe it's that you don't have to have a regular mentor every week every year i believe that the mentors and that people inspire you every day i say pay attention to your life pay attention to the people in your life and they don't have to be the celebrities and superstars of the world they need to be the superstars of your world and i was at a dinner table one night it was in 2008 and i was sitting opposite somebody completely unathletic i didn't even know they did sport and this woman was telling me about crossing the finish line of ironman and i thought to myself if she can do that i know that i can do that and nikki i'll never forget at the same dinner party people were talking about decisions and about making the decision about who you want to be and they were saying somebody said top athletes or top business people and top business people are top athletes and I made a decision on that evening in 2008 I wanted to do, do extreme sports and I wanted to bring the success of that into my business and that's why in 2015 I was so proud of winning South African businesswoman of the year because it was achieving goals on both arenas of my life extreme sports is why not why not the human body is unbelievable because the human body is going to do exactly what the mind tells it to do 100% I always get flack or well, not flack but I say I get up at half past five in the morning or five in the morning. People are like, "What? That's crazy!" And I'm just like, "But why not?" I get an extra hour in my day. I'm awake before, like while the world is sleeping. I can do everything I want. I have that, not even an hour because half past five I only start work at eight, so I've got like two hours. So I exercise, I read, and then I'm ready for my day. And if I don't, amazing. Five in the morning, my day is it's not the same. It's just not the same. One of the questions that I absolutely love, so I'm jumping ahead, where it says, where do you balance work as well as sport and all those things? Yes. The biggest question is, and I'm sure you'll relate to it, is that what is really important to you? And if it's important enough to you, you're going to make that a part of your day. My running for me is part of I call it my meditation through movement. Is that it's such a part of my day. It's not just about the running, managing weight, but that's why I set my mind. I meditate. I think about my day. I think about my work. I think about the pitch, running the company, leadership, all those things. It settles my mind, and that just creates a happier, a better, and more settled me. I know you're speaking about running now. I know you've done multi-day events. I know you've done Mount Everest. What has been your hardest extreme sport challenge that you've done apart from Mount Everest. The hardest thing for me Nikki was something that I thought was going to be the easiest thing ever 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 and I always say it's the stuff that you can't train for and I didn't train for it and also my body had never done it but I thought it was going to be a walk in the park and I didn't like it one bit. So I entered this race 2 3 years ago. It's on Robben Island. It's 160 kilometers. I don't know if you know of this race. Anyway, I think there were about 200 athletes, but the big kicker here is and I'm a runner. I run every day of my life. I do about 140 k's per week and um, oh. you had to walk. You couldn't run. And all my body wanted to do was run and for in 24 hours we had to do 160 k. It was hell. Absolute hell. I thought it was going to be so so easy, but it was just 
every every muscle in my body was aching it was just i think i had a different vision in my mind how it was going to be and then the reality of those speed walkers of which i've never done and their bodies are absolutely incredible it looks like such a strange sport but these guys are machines i realized 100 i'm not a speed walker i'm never going to be a speed walker and running around or walk, speed walking around robin island for 24 hours to do 160 k's no it was not pretty it was not good not good at all, just tough, wow. very tough. The beauty though was watching the sun go down and watching it rise on that island was magnificent, but uh, the pain was extreme. I can just imagine. And obviously being an extreme sports athlete, Mount Everest is on the bucket list, so to say, but what, why did you decide that you wanted to do Mount Everest? Mount Everest, I, as you know, I run an event management company and we use inspirational speakers all the time. And it was in 2012, we were doing a roadshow for a medical aid company. And the speaker that we used, he inspired me 100% to make that decision was Lewis Pugh. The essence of his talk was nothing is impossible. He did the talk on the Friday and on the Sunday, I was sitting on the couch, it was winter. And I thought, what is my next big challenge? What's my next big thing? And be, a few years before that, Nikki, I thought about doing base camp Everest. And I sat there on the couch thinking, if this guy can say in life that nothing is impossible, I thought, but Lee, why do base camp when you can go to the top? You can go right to the top. And I sent him an email that day. I said, Lewis, I've made a decision. I'm going to attempt to summit Mount Everest. And that's and that was in June, but March the following year, I was in Kathmandu and I was heading for the top of the world. Wow. Yeah. I just want to know, because they're all, you know, all the rumors fly about about Mount Everest, that you get close to the top, and you see the people who unfortunately passed and didn't make it and are there bodies on the way up Mount Everest? Do you see them? There are 100%. There are two routes to get to the summit. There's the south route and there's the north route. I went the south route because they say it's not as cold even though it was minus 34 degrees and they said it's, it's less, less technical. Yeah, no, just freezing. They said it's less technical. And I'm not a climber, not at all. I'd only ever done one mountain, which was Kilimanjaro. Big difference, Kilimanjaro is four days up and it's two days down, whereas Everest is two months on that mountain. So I was always gonna choose the easier and let's say the less cold route, which was the south. All the dead bodies are on the north side. So I was fortunate, I didn't see any dead bodies on our side, but they say there are over 300 bodies that lie on Everest. Mm. Yeah, we had, when I did Everest in 2013, there were nine people that died. Wow. That's, mm. I can't imagine that must just, it must feel so surreal for you because you feel so proud of yourself for making it, but then there's people who've lost their lives and obviously you feel like, thank goodness I'm not one of them, but then you also, your heart breaks for them being like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But also the big reality reality check for me is that this is a dangerous mountain, a very dangerous mountain. And 2013, I was on that mountain. 2014, not one person summited. In one day, in 2014, 17 people lost their lives in an avalanche. The year after, in 2015, not one person summited. In one day, again, in an avalanche, 16 people lost their lives. So, you know, in terms of Everest, it was it's, it's a dangerous mountain. And I was very lucky. I had a great expedition company, a great leader who had wonderful credentials because I didn't have the climbing credentials most definitely not you know I was a very inexperienced climber I was a novice I'd never gone to that height and two months on the mountain it was um yeah it was extreme but just every day you've just got to know what you're doing why you're doing it and take calculated risks don't take any risks in such a dangerous environment where people are losing their lives I was just about to ask you how did you equip yourself for summiting for two months that's crazy 
<laughs> yeah, the two months was actually such a gift because you get there, you settle, you learn the environment, you learn about the lack of oxygen, um, and you learn about, because I always say in South Africa, we don't know snow, we don't know ice, we don't know avalanches, and we definitely don't know temperatures as low as minus 34 degrees. My biggest, biggest challenge on Everest was the cold. The very first night we were at base camp, it was minus 21 degrees. And they say in South Africa, even our winters are magnificent. I mean, today is a winter's day, and it's just unbelievable. So by the time that you're on that mountain for two Two months in the last week when you're going for the summit I could really I knew my gear I had acclimatized I could deal with a lack of oxygen to the best of my ability and I could manage these extreme temperatures so it was it was a gift being there on for that amount of time to really say right in the seventh week I'm ready to give it my best shot to go for to go for the summit and get to the top amazing what would be sort of a top tip that you could give for someone who's wanting to you mentioned Kilimanjaro. Let's take baby steps. What would be your top tip for someone who wants to climb Mount Kilimanjaro? I would say put a pack on your back and get to as many flights of stairs as possible and just go up and down and up and down. And luckily if you're in the Western Cape, get into the mountains. If you're in KZN, get into the Drakensberg. But try and put your body into the environment which is close as possible to where you're gonna be. In 2017, I did this race called the Marathon de Saab. It's known as the toughest foot race in the world. And it was 251 kilometers in the Sahara Desert, where the temperatures went as high as 53 degrees. And in training for that, because there's nowhere in South Africa where we've got deserts with that, with that size or that landscape, and definitely not those temperatures. So what I did is, four, four months before going to Morocco, I went to Namibia. And every single day I did a marathon, but in the sand, and these it was, 40 to 45 degrees, just to take your body into an environment which is going to be as close as possible to when you're actually doing either Kilimanjaro or Everest or running in the desert. It's the best way to train. You already touched on this, but I'd just like to bring it up and delve into it a little bit more about time management. I mean, you run a multi-million rand business. you very equipped businesswoman, businesswoman of the year. You're an extreme and you obviously have a family. How do you balance it all? You know, they say the, the, the bigger and the billionaire, we all got 24 hours, 100%. And it's how you manage your time and how you plan your time. But essentially the big question is what do I need to achieve in my day? If it's business-wise and it's a pitch, I know exactly what I've got to do, sit with my team, sit with my suppliers. And that's always a deadline because we know I've got a big presentation. And then really saying what's important to me, you know, and especially if there's an endurance event, Endurance Ironman, it's many, many hours, many, many hours, but it's just juggling and just saying, right, I need to do X, Y, and Z. And to do X, Y, and Z, I've got a plan at A, B, and C. And just taking an aerial shot of your day, an aerial shot of your week, an aerial shot of your month, and it's just planning. You've got to step out, create that quiet time to say, right, this is my day. These are the hours. This is what I've got available to me. These are the expectations. And there's challenges, there's distractions, of course, you just got to deal with that. But I always say, what is really, really important to you? And if it's important enough, you will plan around it to make the, the necessary choices and the necessary sacrifices to achieve exactly that. What does feminine leadership look like to you? Or what does it mean to you? That for me is an incredible question. Absolutely incredible, Nikki. Thank you for that. Feminine leadership for me is... Um, the world right now, more than ever, needs great leaders, female and male. I believe with feminine leadership, it's it's so, so, so broad. I believe women are amazing, women are powerful, they are instrumental in the world, they're the game changers. And when I look at leadership, leadership is not about leading, just leading a team, an organization or a boardroom setting. Leadership starts at home. 
setting the example, leading a community, leading a family, leading teaching, showing an example in terms of creating boundaries. It's not just about going through an agenda or presentation again in an organization, leading a team in a boardroom setting. Leadership is across the board. And especially I believe in South Africa, feminine leadership is unbelievably important, especially now to encourage and lead women to say no, to say I am enough, to say this is my boundary, this is where I'm going and to achieve the greatest things. And that's the greatest victories to know that there is nothing in this life that they can't achieve. I love that question. Well done. Uh, thank you. I'd like to move to a segment I like to call the ABCs of your career. So mm -hmm. what was your amazing, affluent aha moment in your career? My aha moment in my career was when I realized my potential. And when I say that is I'd been running my company for two years. I felt I was this tiny little hamster on a wheel, just going, 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 trying to survive because I'd come from such a zero base in my confidence, getting back to South Africa, bruised ego about not getting into Nike. But I had this opportunity. And for the first two years, two and a half years, I was getting really, giving it everything I've got just to, to make a mark and in a highly competitive industry. And then I had an opportunity with a key, key client, which was my first client in 2001. And it's still my client. It's my biggest client 20 years later, just showing the strength of a relationship. And they had a concept and they said, but you know what, Lee, it can't be done. And Nikki, when you tell me something can't be done, it's like a red rag to somebody who said, it can be done, it will be done, and I'm gonna be the person to do it. And it was just an aha moment in my life. They said to me that they, they wanted to launch in Robin Island, but they wanted to launch trucks in Robin Island. It had never been done within 24 hours. And I'm talking in 2003, so this is 17 years ago. I was so green and naive, but there were no roadblocks. And within 24 hours, I was on a flight to Cape Town and I met with various people down here. And the following Monday, I was presenting to this client, absolutely key, it can be done. And we did it. We launched to the media first time ever in Robin Island. And yes, it was just, it was a concept that I realized that there's nothing that's impossible, no, nothing at all. And since then, in 17 years, we've done things in South Africa that I say so proudly that have never been done in the world. You know, South Africa, I think we're on the, I believe we're on the forefront in the event space. We've got so many talented people, so many talented artists, so many beautiful, phenomenal staging production companies that are doing cutting edge things that, that meet every global standard. And that was my aha moment to think that, yes, I've only been running this little company of mine for two and a half years, but I did something that had never been done. And doing this launch in my client's eyes said, you know what, this is a special, special company. And it's taken us on to, to great heights, absolutely great heights within that organization. What was a blunder turned to blessing moment for you? I'll tell you a big blunder. I always say the things in life you can't train for. It was in 2006 and we were doing, we, we were really fortunate. We did all the events for FHM magazine. We launched Heat magazine. So we did a lot in the magazine space, but these trendy, exciting, sexy events. And it was in Johannesburg. We did FHM, the 100 sexiest woman in the world. We had Emerentia Dam, we had erected the circus tent and all these, and Axe, you know, Axe Men's Deodorant was the main sponsor. I mean, if you remember all those sexy girls and yeah. we had these activations whereby we had these booths, it was the middle of winter with these polo fights, but it was all very contained, Nikki, very organized, full approval. At 3 a.m. that morning when the event was all done and dusted, everyone had gone home, there was a wind that picked up in 2006 across the Emerentia Dam that blew every single activation booth. So here's the thing, the following morning, Morning, that winter's morning, Emerentia Dam, the fields around there looked as though somebody had sprinkled snow from the feathers in all these pillows. 
all right i had every environmentalist i had 702 contact me to be interviewed there were so many unhappy people and as i was saying what on earth happened uh no it wasn't pretty it wasn't pretty at all i had to disaster management operations we had cleanup operations and the wind didn't stop blowing so you've got to know what it looked like and i had exactly 24 hours to to clean up this massive blunder and i was on 702 the following morning they wanted to know what had gone anyway we spoke and we spoke and we spoke and apologies and we sorted it out to the point that i could end the interview by saying is that the disaster management i can't even remember it as it was so many years ago due to the success of this and the cleanup operation they'd be very excited to host the event the following year again at emory Amsterdam. so it couldn't be that bad nikki it was hell it was hell <laughs> like a snowfall of feathers all over and that wind didn't stop no it was rough it was rough that, that's a proper blunder a blessing they want to host yeah. they they want to host you again so exactly 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 what was a cinematic comical moment in your career i think for me the blunder which was a blessing which led me to stop my own company which had been running for 20 years i think was arriving in new york city with my cv under my arm going to the nike office there and with great gusto handing my cv over saying i'm here to work for your office and she said to me but the nike head office is not here it's in portland oregon you know in terms of how could i think for one second that manhattan and portland oregon were even close when it's from one coast to the other coast in america that was just a dumb moment in my life but you know we ended up being the greatest blessing because new york took me to my knees i said that ladder was against the wrong building and had i ended up with nike it was where i was meant to be i was meant to return back to south africa start an event company work with incredible people empower people and i'm saying that not to, to profile me but it's been a phenomenal journey it really really has and to be my flow my calling and purpose is to be doing exactly that loving events doing successful events not working in the sales department of a brand where essentially was compromising me because i wasn't being authentic to myself not at all i love that so much <laughs> and i love the saying that you said about having your ladder but it's not against the right building that also just speaks yeah. it makes so much sense yeah. i'd like to move to a little bit of entertainment segment is um category obviously of okay, let's go to let's go to dramas mhm okay all right so here we go uh, main actress demi moore uh and patrick swayze romantic ghost got it okay well done okay i've got one so it's three words um there's an unlucky number so the day before the unlucky number the number before the unlucky one is 12 yeah and what was the special expression like one was a special the facial expression anger confusion angry yeah <laughs> <laughs> confusion and then not females but 12 angry males 12 angry men yes oh 12 angry men okay i've got no idea about the movie yes me neither <laughs> but well done <laughs> let's do one more let's do one more Okay. Okay, can I shoot? Yes. All right. Um hero uh Kevin Costner played the role and um, Russell Crowe played this role as well. Uh he was on a horse he used to give to the poor. Super character Robin Hood. Robin Hood? Yes. Wow. 
Well done. (laughs) (laughs) So easy one is when in Egypt, ancient Egypt, they used to bury people and what were they? Oh, tombs. Tomb raider. No, no. No, no, the people. The tombs. A sphinx. A sphinx, a mummy. Yes. So the mummy. Mummy. Okay. And I'd just like to close off the interview with a quick fire round, something that you haven't seen the questions for, you haven't been able to prepare for. Just shoot off what goes from the top of your head. Apart from your extreme sports, what other hobbies do you have? I love spending time with my family. I love going to movies. I enjoy music. I love just being at home, love being at home with my animals. I've got two miniature schnauzers, Sheru and Brooklyn are their names. What's your favorite movie? Uh, what My favorite movie, and I've seen it so many, many times, is The Moulin Rouge. Oh, good choice. I love that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Nicole Kidman, everyone's heart breaks, let's be honest. Yeah, no, she's amazing. Are you a morning person or evening person? It depends. It depends. It depends what needs to be done in the day. Because those mornings start very, very early and it's just get up and go and just got to get through everything that needs to be done. What's your favorite genre of music? I think the... Such a great question. I think the... Yeah, the 90s. 90s. Oh, I love it. And if you could have dinner with anyone in the world, who would you have dinner with? My biological father because he he left when we were very, very young and there's so many things I'd love to speak to him about. There's so many things that I would love to ask him and just get to know him because I never had that opportunity to do that. In your day, there's something that you could not live without. Without being too emotional. I think uh, I couldn't live without the the connection I have to my partner, to my family, to my my animal time, Uh, the intimacy around all of that. I would definitely not be able to live without that. And then I really enjoy Prosecco and pizza. Couldn't live without that. <laughs> so happy prosecco pizza. Yes, I'm quoting that, and we, um, everyone's gonna run. That's that's the stairway to success. <laughs> Not to success. Prosecco and pizza. <laughs> there we go. Both Italian. Italian cuisine is the best. Um, exactly. Exactly. Put it out there. It is. Yes. Awesome. Thank you so much, Lee, for taking the time out of your Sunday to speak to me and sit down with me. I really appreciate it. Your insights are amazing. You've given me such a, a drive. I want to go and climb Mount Kilimanjaro. I've been wanting to do it actually for a while. My step- Got to do it. Got to do it. It's like, let's go to do it. And I said, okay. So now I think I'm going to go and make a plan and want to do it. Thank 100%. And Nikki, thank you for having me on your incredible show and keep doing what you're doing. I I love that you've shown initiative to create this platform. I hope that you are left inspired. You want to take risks. You want to go out there and do it. I know I'm definitely going to take a lot more risks in my life. I do want to do Mount Kilimanjaro. I was not just saying that to seem cool in front of Lee. (laughs) Although I did say some things I thought just because I wanted to seem cool, but I'm being genuine when I say that. Anyone who is keen to climb can't anyone who is keen to climb Mount Kilimanjaro with me, please let me know. I do need a partner. But I hope that you're left inspired. Take risks, be bold, and what's important to you, we all know that you'll make the time for it. <laughs>